Part 3, Chapter 4, Section 137 of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss, translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 3, History of the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus. Chapter 4, Death and Resurrection of Jesus. Section 137, First Tidings of the Resurrection that the first news of the grave of jesus being opened and empty on the second morning after his burial came to the disciples by the mouth of women is unanimously stated by the four evangelists but in all the more particular circumstances they diverge from each other in a way which has presented the richest material for the polemic of the wolfenbutel fragmentist and on the other hand has given abundant work to the harmonists and apologists, without there having been hitherto any successful attempt at a satisfactory mediation between the two parties. Leaving behind the difference which is connected with the divergencies in the history of the burial, as to the object of the women in resorting to the grave, namely, that according to the two intermediate evangelists, they intended to embalm the body of Jesus, according to the two others, merely to pay a visit to the grave. We find, first, a very complicated divergency relative to the number of the women who made this visit. Luke merely speaks indefinitely of many women, not alone those whom he describes, chapter 23, verse 55, as having come with Jesus from Galilee, and of whom he mentions by name Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, but also certain others with them. Chapter 24, verse 1. Mark has merely three women, two of those whom Luke also names, but as the third, Salome, instead of Joanna. Chapter 16, verse 1. Matthew has not this third woman, respecting whom the two intermediate evangelists differ, but merely the two Marys concerning whom they agree. Chapter 28, verse 1. Lastly, John has only one of these, Mary Magdalene. Chapter 20, verse 1. The time at which the women go to the grave is likewise not determined with uniformity, for even if the words of Matthew, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, make no difference, still the addition of Mark, at the rising of the sun, are in contradiction with the expressions, when it was yet dark, in John, and very early in the morning, in Luke. In relation to the circumstances in which the women first saw the grave, there may appear to be a difference, at least between Matthew and the three other evangelists. According to the latter, as they approach and look towards the grave, they see that the stone has already been rolled away by an unknown hand, whereas the narrative of the first evangelist has appeared to many to imply that the women themselves beheld the stone rolled away by an angel. Manifold are the divergencies as to what the women further saw and learned at the grave. 
according to luke they enter into the grave find that the body of jesus is not there and are hence in perplexity until they see standing by them two men in shining garments who announce to them his resurrection in mark who also makes them enter into the grave they see only one young man in a long white garment not standing but sitting on the right side who gives them the same intelligence in matthew they receive this information before they enter into the grave from an angel who after rolling away the stone had sat upon it lastly according to john mary magdalene as soon as she sees the stone taken away and without witnessing any angelic appearance runs back into the city moreover the relation in which the disciples of jesus are placed with respect to the first news of his resurrection is a different one in the different gospels according to mark the women out of fear tell no one of the angelic appearance which they have beheld according to john mary magdalene has nothing more to say to john and peter to whom she hastens from the grave than that jesus is taken away according to luke the women report the appearance to the disciples in general and not merely to two of them while according to matthew as they were in the act of hastening to the disciples jesus himself met them and they were able to communicate this also to the disciples in the two first gospels nothing is said of one of the disciples himself going to the grave on hearing the report of the women according to luke peter went thither found it empty and returned wondering and from luke chapter twenty four verse twenty four it appears that other disciples besides him went thither in a similar manner according to the fourth gospel peter was accompanied by john who on this occasion was convinced of the resurrection of jesus luke says that peter made his visit to the sepulchre after he had already been informed by the women of the angelic appearance but in the fourth gospel the two disciples go to the grave before mary magdalene can have told them of such an appearance it was only when she had proceeded a second time to the grave with the two disciples and when they had returned home again that stooping into the sepulchre she saw according to this gospel two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of jesus had lain by whom she was asked why she wept and on turning round she beheld jesus himself a particular of which there is a fragmentary notice in mark verse nine with the additional remark that she communicated this news to the former companions it has been thought possible to reconcile the greater part of these divergencies by supposing instead of one scene variously described a multiplicity of different scenes for which purpose the ordinary grammatical and other artifices of the harmonists were pressed into the service that mark might not contradict the while it was yet dark of john the apologists did not scruple to translate the words 
Anatelantos to Hylion, by Arturo Sole, the contradiction between Matthew and the rest, when the former appears to say that the women saw the stone rolled away by the angel, seemed to be more easy of solution, not indeed by supposing, with Michaelis, that kai idu, and behold, denotes a recurrence to a previous event, and that apek olise has the signification of a pluperfect, an expedient which has been justly combated by modern criticism in opposition to Lessing, who was inclined to admit it. But by understanding the hilthe, verse 1, to express a yet unfinished progress of the women towards the grave, in which case the kai idu and what follows may, in accordance with its proper meaning, relate something that happened after the departure of the women from their home, but before their arrival at the grave. In relation to the number and the visit of the women, it was in the first place urged that even according to John, although he mentions only Mary Magdalene by name, several women must have accompanied her to the grave, since he makes her say after her return to the two disciples, we know not where they have laid him. A plural, which certainly intimates the presence of other but unspecified persons, with whom Mary Magdalene, whether at the grave itself or on her return, had conversed on the subject before she came to the apostles. Thus, it is said, Mary Magdalene went to the grave with the other women, more or fewer of whom are mentioned by the other evangelists. As, however, she returned without having, like the other women, seen an angel, it is supposed that she ran back alone as soon as she saw the stone rolled away, which is accounted for by her impetuous temperament, she having been formerly a demoniac. While she hastened back to the city, the other women saw the appearances of which the synoptists speak. To all, it is maintained, the angels appeared within the grave, for the statement in Matthew that one sat outside on the stone is only a pluperfect. When the women came, he had already withdrawn into the sepulchre, and accordingly, after their conversation with him, the women are described as departing from the sepulchre, verse 8, in which observation it is only overlooked that between the first address of the angel and the above expression, there stands his invitation to the women to come with him into the grave and see the place where Jesus had lain. In relation to the difference that, according to the two first evangelists, the women see only one angel, according to the third, two, even Calvin resorts to the miserable expedient of supposing a synecdoche, namely, that all the evangelists certainly knew of two angels, but Matthew and Mark mention only the one who acted as speaker. Others make different women see different appearances, some, of whom Matthew and Mark speak, seeing only one angel, the others to whom Luke refers, 
and who came earlier or perhaps later than the above seeing too but luke makes the same two marys who according to his predecessors had seen only one angel narrate to the apostles an appearance of two angels it is also said that the women returned in separate groups so that jesus might meet those of whom matthew speaks without being seen by those of luke and though those of mark at first tell no one from fear the rest and they themselves afterwards might communicate what they had seen to the disciples on hearing the report brought by several women peter according to luke straightway goes to the grave finds it empty and turns away wondering but according to the hypothesis which we are now detailing mary magdalene had run back a considerable time before the other women and had brought with her to the grave peter and john thus peter first on hearing the imperfect intelligence of mary magdalene that the grave was empty must have gone thither with john and subsequently on the account of the angelic appearance brought by the other women he must have gone a second time alone in which case it would be particularly surprising that while his companion arrived at a belief in the resurrection of jesus on the very first visit he himself had not attained further than wonder even on the second besides as the fragmentist has already ably shown the narrative in the third gospel of the visit of peter alone and that in the fourth of the visit of peter and john are so strikingly similar even in words that the majority of commentators regard them as referring to a single visit luke having only omitted to notice the companion of peter in support of which opinion they can appeal to luke chapter twenty four verse twenty four but if the visit of the two apostles occasioned by the return of mary magdalene be one and the same with that occasioned by the return of the other women then the return of the women is also not a double one if however they returned in company with each other we have a contradiction after the two apostles are returned without having seen an angel mary who remains behind as she looks into the grave all at once sees two what a strange playing at hide-and-seek there must have been on the part of the angels according to the harmonistic combination of these narratives first only one shows himself to one group of women to another group two show themselves but forthwith conceal themselves from the disciples but after their departure both again become visible to remove these intermissions paulus has placed the appearance presented to mary magdalene before the arrival of the two disciples but by this violent transposition of the order chosen by the narrator he has only confessed the impossibility of thus incorporating the various evangelists with each other hereupon as mary magdalene raises herself from looking into the grave and turns round she sees jesus standing behind her according to matthew jesus appeared to mary magdalene and the other mary 
when they had already set out on their way to the city, consequently when they were at some distance from the grave. Thus Jesus would have first appeared to Mary Magdalene alone, close to the grave, and a second time when she was on her way from thence, in the company of other women. In order to avoid the want of purpose, attaching to the repetition of an appearance of Jesus after so short an interval, commentators have here called in the above supposition that Mary Magdalene had previously separated herself from the women of whom Matthew speaks. But in that case, since Matthew has besides Mary Magdalene only the other Mary, it would have been only one woman to whom Jesus appeared on the way from the grave, whereas Matthew throughout speaks of several. To escape from this restless running to and fro of the disciples and the women, this phantasmagoric appearance, disappearance, and reappearance of the angels, and the useless repetition of the appearances of Jesus before the same person, which result from this harmonistic method, we must consider each evangelist by himself. We then obtain from each a quiet picture with simple, dignified features. One visit of the women to the grave, or according to John, too. One angelic appearance, one appearance of Jesus, according to John and Matthew, and one visit to the grave by one or two of the disciples, according to Luke and John. But with the above difficulties of the harmonistic method of incorporation as to the substance, there is associated a difficulty as to form, in the question, how comes it, under the presuppositions of this mode of viewing the Gospels, that from the entire series of occurrences each narrator has selected a separate portion for himself, that of the many visits and appearances not one evangelist relates all, and scarcely one the same as his neighbor. But for the most part, each has chosen only one for representation, and each again a different one. The most plausible answer to this question has been given by Griesbach in the special treatise on this subject. He supposes that each evangelist recounts the resurrection of Jesus in the manner in which at first became known to him. John received the first information from Mary Magdalene, and hence he narrates only what he learned from her. To Matthew, for without doubt the disciples, as strangers visiting the feast, resided in different quarters of the city, the first news was communicated by those women to whom Jesus himself appeared on their way from the grave and hence he relates only what these had experienced. But here, this explanation already founders on the facts, that in Matthew, of the women who see Jesus on their way homeward, Mary Magdalene is one, and that in John, Mary Magdalene, after her second visit to the grave, in which Jesus appeared to her, no longer went to John and Peter alone, but to the disciples in general, and communicated to them the appearance she had seen and the commission she had received. So that Matthew, in any case, must also have known of the appearance of Jesus to Mary Magdalene. Further, when, according to this hypothesis, 
Mark narrates the history of the resurrection as he had learned it in the house of his mother who lived in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. Luke, as he had received it from Joanna, whom he alone mentions. We cannot but wonder at the tenacity with which, according to this, each must have clung to the narrative which he had happened first to receive, since the resurrection of Jesus must have been the subject of all others on which there was the most lively interchange of narratives among his adherents, so that the ideas concerning the first tidings of the event must have found their level. To remove these difficulties, Grishbach has further supposed that the disciples had it in their intention to compare the discordant accounts of the women and reduce them to order. When, however, the resuscitated Jesus himself appeared in the midst of them, they neglected this, because they now no longer founded their faith on the assertions of the women, but on the appearances which they had themselves witnessed. But the more the information of the women fell into the background, the less conceivable is it how in the sequel each could so obstinately cling to what this or that woman had chanced first to communicate to him. If, then, the plan of incorporation will not lead to the desired end, we must try that of selection, and inquire whether we must not adhere to one of the four accounts, as preeminently apostolic, and by this rectify the others, in which inquiry here, as elsewhere, from the essential equality of the external evidence, only the internal character of the separate narratives can decide. From the number of those accounts concerning the first intelligence of the resurrection of Jesus, which have any claim to the rank of autoptical testimonies, modern criticism has excluded that of the first gospel, and we cannot, as in other instances, complain of this disfavor as an injustice. For in many respects, the narrative of the first gospel here betrays itself to have been carried a step farther in traditional development than that of the other gospels. First, that the miraculous opening of the grave is seen by the women, if indeed Matthew intends to say this, could scarcely, had it really been the case, have been so entirely lost from remembrance as it is in the other evangelists, but might very well be formed gradually in tradition. Further, that the rolling away of the stone was effected by the angel, evidently rests only on the combination of one who did not know any better means of answering the question, how the great stone was removed from the grave, and the guards taken out of the way, than to use for both purposes the angel presented to him in the current narratives of the appearance witnessed by the women, to which he added the earthquake as a further embellishment of the scene. But besides this, there is in the narrative of Matthew yet another trait which has anything but an historical aspect. After the angel has already announced the resurrection of Jesus to the women, and charged them to deliver to the disciples the message that they should go into Galilee, where they would see the risen one, 
Jesus himself meets them and repeats the message which they are to deliver to the disciples. This is a singular superfluity. Jesus had nothing to add to the purport of the message which the angel had given to the women. Hence, he could only wish to confirm it and render it more authentic. But to the women it needed no further confirmation, for they were already filled with great joy by the tidings of the angel, and thus were believing. While for the disciples even that confirmation did not suffice, for they remained incredulous even to the account of those who assured them that they had seen Jesus, until they had seen him themselves. Thus it appears that two different narrations, as to the first news of the resurrection, have here become entangled with each other, the one representing angels, the other Jesus himself, as the medium by which the women were informed of the event, and sent with a message to the disciples, the latter evidently the later tradition. The preeminence in originality denied to the narrative of Matthew is here, as elsewhere, awarded to that of John. Traits so characteristic, says Luca, as that on the visit to the grave the other disciple went faster than Peter and came to the spot before him, attest the authenticity of the gospel even to the most skeptical. But the matter has yet another aspect. It has been already remarked at an earlier point in our inquiry, that this particular belongs to the effort, which the fourth gospel exhibits in a peculiar manner, to place John above Peter. We may now discuss the point with more particularity, by comparing the account in Luke, already mentioned, of the visit of Peter to the grave, with the account in the fourth gospel of the visit of the two disciples. According to Luke, chapter 24, verse 12, Peter runs to the grave. According to John, chapter 20, verse 3 and following, Peter and the favorite disciple go together. But so that the latter runs faster and comes first to the grave. In the third gospel, Peter stoops down, looks into the sepulchre, and sees the linen clothes. In the fourth, John does this and sees the same. In the third gospel, nothing is said of an entering into the grave. But the fourth makes Peter enter first, and look more closely at the linen clothes. Then John also. And the latter with the result that he begins to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That in these two narratives we have one and the same incident has been above shown probable from their similarity even in the expressions. Thus, the only question is, which is the original narrative, the one nearest to the fact? If that of John, then must his name have been gradually lost out of the narrative in the course of tradition, and the visit to the grave ascribed to Peter only, which, since the importance of Peter threw all others into the shade, is easily conceivable. We might rest contented with this conclusion regarding these two parallel narratives by themselves. But in connection with the whole suspicious position which the fourth gospel assigns to John in relation to Peter, 
the contrary relation of the two narratives must here again be held the more probable as in the entrance into the high priest's palace so in the visit to the grave of jesus only in the fourth gospel is john given as a companion to peter as in the former case it is he who gains an entrance for peter so in the latter he runs before him and casts the first glance into the grave a circumstance which is repeatedly mentioned that afterwards peter is the first to enter into the grave is only an apparent advantage which is allowed him out of deference to the common idea of his position for after him john also enters and with a result of which peter could not boast namely that he believed in the resurrection of jesus and thus was the first who attained to that degree of faith from this effort to make john the firstborn among the believers in the resurrection of jesus may also be explained the divergency that according to the narrative of the fourth gospel alone mary magdalene hastens back to the two disciples before she has yet seen an angel for had she beforehand witnessed an angelic appearance which she would not any more than the other women in matthew have mistrusted she would have been the first believer and would have won the precedence of john in this respect but this is avoided by representing her as coming to the two disciples immediately after perceiving the emptiness of the grave and under the disquietude excited in her by this circumstance this presupposition serves also to explain why the fourth gospel makes the woman returning from the grave go not to the disciples in general but only to peter and john as namely the intelligence which according to the original narrative was brought to all the disciples occasioned according to luke only peter to go to the grave and as moreover according to mark verse seven the message of the women was destined more especially for peter the idea might easily be formed that the news came to this disciple alone with whom the object of the fourth evangelist would then require that he should associate john only after the two disciples had come to the grave and his john had attained faith could the author of the fourth gospel introduce the appearances of the angel and of jesus himself which were said to have been granted to the women that instead of these collectively he names only mary magdalene although as has been earlier remarked he chapter twenty verse two presupposes at least a subsequent meeting between her and other women this might certainly under other circumstances be regarded as the original representation whence the synoptical one arose by a process of generalization but it might just as well be the case that the other women being less known were eclipsed by mary magdalene the description of the scene between her and jesus with the non-recognition of him at the first moment etc certainly does honor to the ingenuity and pathos of the author but here also there is an unhistorical superfluity similar to that in matthew 
for here the angels have not as in the other evangelists to announce the resurrection to mary magdalene and to make a disclosure to her but they merely ask her why weepest thou whereupon she complains to them of the disappearance of the body of jesus but without waiting for any further explanation turns round and sees jesus standing thus as in matthew the appearance of jesus since it is not represented as the principal and effective one is a superfluous addition to that of the angel so here the angelic appearance is an idle ostentatious introduction to the appearance of jesus if we turn to the third account that of mark to ascertain whether he may not perhaps be the nearest to the fact we find it so incoherent and composed of materials so little capable of being fitted together that such a relation is not to be thought of after it has been already narrated that early in the morning of the day succeeding the sabbath the women came to the grave of jesus and were informed by an angel of his resurrection but out of fear said nothing to any one of the appearance which they had seen chapter sixteen verses one through eight at verse nine as if nothing had previously been said either of the resurrection or of the time at which it happened the narrator proceeds now when jesus was risen early at the first day of the week he appeared to mary magdalene out of whom he had cast seven devils this statement also does not suit the foregoing narrative because this is not formed on the supposition of an appearance specially intended for mary magdalene on the contrary as she is said to be informed by an angel of the resurrection of jesus together with two other women jesus could not have appeared to her beforehand while afterwards on her way to the city she was in company with the other women when according to matthew they were all actually met by jesus whether on this account we are to regard the end of the gospel of mark from verse nine as a later addition is indeed doubtful from the want of decisive critical grounds and still more from the abruptness of the conclusion for they were afraid which the gospel would then present but in any case we have here a narrative which the author without any clear idea of the state of the fact and the succession of the events hastily compiled out of the heterogeneous elements of the current legend which he knew not how to manage in the narrative of luke there would be no special difficulty but it has a suspicious element in common with the others namely the angelic appearance and moreover in a twofold form what had the angels to do in this scene matthew tells us to roll away the stone from the grave on which it has already been remarked by celsus that according to the orthodox presupposition the son of god could find no such aid necessary for this purpose he might indeed find it suitable and becoming in mark and luke the angels appear more as having to impart information and commissions to the women but as according to matthew and john jesus himself appeared immediately after 
and repeated those commissions, the delivery of them by angels was superfluous. Hence, nothing remains but to say, the angels belonged to the embellishment of the great scene, as celestial attendants who had to open to the Messiah the door by which he meant to issue forth, as a guard of honor on the spot from which the once dead had just departed with recovered life. But here occurs the question, does this species of pomp exist in the real court of God, or only in the childish conception formed of it by antiquity? Hence, commentators have labored in various ways to transform the angels in the history of the resurrection into natural appearances. Setting out from the account of the first gospel, in which the angel is said to have a form or a countenance like lightning, and to effect the rolling away of the stone and the prostration of the guards, while an earthquake is connected with his appearance, it no longer lay far out of the way to think of a flash of lightning, which struck the stone with force sufficient to shatter it, and cast the guards to the earth, or of an earthquake which, accompanied by flames bursting out of the ground, produced the same effect, in which case the flames and the overwhelming force of the phenomenon were taken by the watching soldiers for an angel. But partly the circumstance that the angel seated himself on the stone after it had been rolled away, partly, and still more decidedly, the statement that he spoke to the women, renders this hypothesis insufficient. Hence, an effort has been made to complete it by the supposition that the sublime thought, Jesus is risen, which, on the discovery that the grave was empty, began to arise in the women, and gradually to subdue their first thoughts, was ascribed by them, after the oriental mode of thought and language, to an angel. But how comes it that in all the Gospels the angels are represented as clothed in white shining garments? Is that, too, an oriental figure of speech? The oriental may indeed describe a good thought which occurs to him as being whispered to him by an angel. But to depict the clothing and aspect of this angel passes the bounds of the merely figurative, even among orientals. In the description of the first gospel, the supposed lightning might be called to aid, in the conjecture that the effect thereby produced on the senses of the women was ascribed by them to an angel, which, with reference to that lightning, they depicted as one clothed in shining garments. But, according to the other evangelists, the rolling away of the stone, ex hypothesi, by the lightning, was not seen by the women. On the contrary, when they went or looked into the grave, the white forms appeared to them in a perfectly tranquil position. According to this, it must have been something within the grave which suggested to them the idea of white-robed angels. Now in the grave, according to Luke and John, there lay the white linen clothes in which the body of Jesus had been wrapped. These, which were recognized simply as such by the more composed and courageous men, might, it is said, 
by timid and excited women, in the dark grave and by the deceptive morning twilight, be easily mistaken for angels. But how should the women, who must have expected to find in the grave a corpse enveloped in white, be prompted by the sight of these clothes to a thought so strange, in which then lay so remote from their anticipations, as that they might be an angel who would announce to them the resurrection of their deceased master. It has been thought in another quarter quite superfluous here to advance so many ingenious conjectures as to what the angels may have been, since among the four narratives two expressly tell us what they were, namely, natural men, Mark calling his angel a young man, Luke, his two angels, two men. Whom, then, are we to suppose these men to have been? Here, again, the door is opened for the supposition of secret colleagues of Jesus, who must have been unknown even to the two disciples. These men, seen at the grave, may have been the same who met him in the so-called transfiguration, perhaps Essenes, white being worn by this sect, or whatever else of the like conjectures the antiquated pragmatism of a Bart or Venturini has to offer? Or will it rather be chosen to suppose a purely accidental meeting? Or, lastly, with Paulus, to leave the matter in an obscurity, from the midst of which, so soon as it is endeavoured to clear it up by definite thoughts, the two forms of the secret colleagues invariably present themselves. A correct discernment will here also rather recognize the forms of the Jewish popular conception, by which the primitive Christian tradition held it necessary to glorify the resurrection of its Messiah. A recognition which at once solves in the most simple manner the differences in the number and modes of appearance of those celestial beings. Herewith, however, it is at the same time acknowledged that we can succeed no better with the plan of selection than with that of incorporation, but must rather confess that in all the evangelical accounts of these first tidings of the resurrection we have before us nothing more than traditional reports. End of section 137